0: Hi, this is Martin Medeiros with Negotiation Strategist Research and as you know I stand for the proposition that we communicate our needs to the world using negotiation and how effective we are at communicating those needs determine if we achieve our needs. Is agency negotiation is freedom. You can control. It. Hi, this is Martin Medeiros. This is lesson sixteen. What leaders need to know about negotiation. This is negotiation strategist research and we are presenting materials on how to help people better negotiate based on our research negotiation is very important in fact recent studies a recent article actually a paper by researchers at university of pennsylvania and berkeley state that negotiation is the number one skill set of a leader. So if you find yourself in the CEO spot, president, executive director, or the head of a bureau in a governmental institution, you have got to really hone your negotiation skills. And as I like to say, persuasion, influence, and negotiation are how we communicate our needs to the world. And sometimes we communicate them better if we know the science of negotiation, which is what this series is about. So let's get right into it. If you think about a question I'll post, are you ready to negotiate? Are you ready to negotiate? How do you feel? You may think, hey, this is a lesson. It's just a video. I don't really have to perform, but I'm not really interested in that. How did you feel? Did you freeze? Did you think for a minute, hmm, I have to negotiate? What do I do? How do I do it? Did you want to avoid it? In my informal polls, avoidance of negotiation is a number one tactic. But guess what? As a leader, you don't have that luxury. You may think negotiation is gamesmanship and conflict, or you may feel good about negotiation like, oh, this is exciting, this is joy, I like this. If you like the latter, the last thing I said, if it's joyful for you, that's awesome because You're going to have to like negotiations if you're in the leadership role because everyone's welfare of everyone that you're leading depends on your ability, your skills on how to do that. So the negotiation is a system. There are three subsystems. We can put these in buckets, as I have, called strategy, which is your plan, things you do beforehand. Tactics, things you at the negotiation, operations, things external to the negotiations that impact its trajectory and it impacts your personal performance. So what are these systems? Are they independent? No, they actually overlap. There are strategic elements that bleed into tactics and operational elements that bleed into tactics as well. So what is strategy? If you have no time, there are eight elements that you can use to get a quick plan together strategically. One, knowledge. I'm gonna have to have knowledge about the subject matter, the market, or whatever I'm negotiating. If I don't have that knowledge, I'm gonna hire someone, I'm gonna outsource it. Do not go to the negotiation table not knowing what you're negotiating. Very bad. You are compromising everyone's welfare when you do that. Communications protocol. What do I prefer to communicate with? Is it cell phone? Is it in person? Is it via an online video streaming? situation. And what does the other side prefer? When I match communication protocol preferences, the negotiations generally happen faster, less expensively. If I want to slow it down, I can cross. For example, if they only do negotiations via email processing and batch, I may want to give them a call that will slow down the negotiation, it may increase its cost, but it's a communications protocol mismatch. Current state, where am I now? I want to know where I am now because if I know where I am, I can know my ability to accept the benefit of the bargain to which I see. For example, if I'm doing remote medicine and I have clinics and I buy, get a killer deal on end-of-network video streaming equipment for all these offices, and then to come come to find out I don't have the bandwidth to get to those remote locations. Well, I just wasted my time and money on negotiation. Knowing your current state is important. Next I want to know my future state. This is the benefit of the bargain, the goal. Where am I going with this negotiation? What are my objectives? What are my needs? You have to know where you're going. If you don't, you're not ready to negotiate. The fifth element is the ability to perform. I want to assess my ability to take the full benefit of the the bargain and the other side to perform. Okay, It's an employee I'm hiring. I want to know, do they have the background? Do they have the references? Can they pass different uh, tests or certifications required to do the job? These are things that give me indications of their ability to perform. An interview is a very poor indicator of on-the-job performance. So you kind of need to see them in action to get a really good fix on how you can fit them into the organization. Documentation. I want to memorialize any... Document with ultimately an attorney reviewed contract. If that can't happen, or the little agreements I have along the way, little issues I shut out, I want to still memorialize that maybe in an email. Hey Joe, thanks for uh, agreeing on the specifications. I look forward to discuss pricing tomorrow. Send. So you can affix in tangible form, in this case an email or text, that these issues are shut out and they won't be reopened again. Reopening issues that we thought were closed is the number one way to create more time, more expense in a negotiation. Shut out those issues, memorialize it. It gives them an opportunity. If they see that email and they're like, no, we didn't agree on specifications, I still have more to talk about. Well, you'll know it. Uh, Reopening closed issues is, barred or is made more difficult by these little little concessions and little uh, memorializations of the agreement until you have the ultimate contract agreement accord. We also want to assess durability. This is the seventh element. What is deal durability? This has to do with having the deal stand the test of time. Washington University in St. Louis did a study on which deals end up in litigation. Those deals that were not made part of the mind of the person when they felt like it was imposed, when they feel like they weren't enfranchised in the transaction, when there wasn't a give and take, those deals fell apart. Even if the party took the benefit of the the bargain objectively. In other words, if they took all the chips off the table and got a killer deal, if they felt like the other party agreed too quickly, if they felt like it was asymmetrical, if this was a really, really powerful party and they felt they were weak and they still got a good deal but they felt that something went wrong or maybe they didn't bargain hard enough, those deals will fall apart. How do we avoid increased deal durability and franchise the parties? Let them know it's a collective concession-making compromise-making solution, and that they participated in a fair process. Those deals still the test of time. Finally, ethics. What's ethics at its core in negotiation? Truth. Should you empty your brain every time in every negotiation? Absolutely not. You have confidentiality obligations. They may be trade secrets. There may be other things that you cannot tell people at the table. What you should not do is tell white lies, misrepresent or commit fraud because ultimately these things have civil actions and fraud can have criminal actions so you want to make sure that everything out of your mouth is truthful this actually makes you more persuasive because it increases your trustworthiness and those are the eight quick elements of a strategy knowledge, communications protocol, current state, future state, ability to perform, document the transaction, Assess deal durability, and think about ethics. Let's talk about tactics. So I authored this book, 161 Tactics. Tactics, this is the next sub-system of negotiation. These are things we do at the negotiation. I wrote this book, 161 Tactics. Is it overwhelming? Yeah, but pros kinda know all those tactics. I just put a label on them. But you don't have to remember all that. You need to know five different tactical groupings that most negotiations follow. The first is authority. When you cite an authority, for example, the CDC says this, or the Wall Street Journal said this, that's using authority, or I'm a guru on this, and yourself, and you're saying, I've done this, and I've published papers on this, and I know this. That's using authority to persuade and influence. The second is deal structure. Deal structure many different ways. What's a typical deal structure? Pricing. If I do hourly pricing, that basically allocates risk from the provider to the purchaser. What does flat fee do? The opposite. It allocates the risk from the purchaser to the provider. So the deal structure on that pricing dynamic can, quote, negotiate for us or allocate risks and responsibilities just by the deal structure or many, many different ways in, say, a form contract. The next thing is personal Tactics, personal tactics by and far, the largest grouping, we documented over 65 personal tactics. These are tactics of and about people. They deal with psychology, personality type, personal attacks, all these different things. We want to know a little bit about people. And if you're in a leadership role, you probably have a good sense of people's behaviors and what some of these behaviors do. Um, how do you deal with a narcissist, someone who's a little bit passive-aggressive, someone who has some other proclivity? These are important ways every personality type has to be negotiated with because you will become an expert at dealing with a lot of different personalities in a leadership spot. The next grouping are physical. These are things that influence us using our position, our bodies, you know, handshakes, things. Very, These tactics aren't used that much lighting and other things uh, Next, process And you know this, we can't do that That's not our process Well, the way to handle a process type tactic Is to ask for that process And document it so you may better comply with it If you don't know how What the process is You can't comply with it A lot of times when I ask that question There is no process It was committed to a ritual tradition That nobody can really replicate If a process is in place Follow it Ask for exceptions if it does exist. And those are the five groupings of tactics. The first is authority, deal structure, personal tactics, physical, and process tactics. The next subsystem is operational. First operational issue is the media use. Is it face-to-face? Is it via video, phone, paper, text, or email? So you have to select the media for the desired impact and think about it. Are uh, we did a survey in that same book, 161 Negotiation Tactics of Professional Negotiators. Professional female negotiators preferred face-to-face negotiations. Professional male negotiators preferred telephone or email. Interesting data. I did not say it's scientifically uh, significant, but the takeaway is different people of different groupings prefer different media and find it more effective. Layout, this is another operational show. Room layout, where you do your position. Typically, we have a whole lesson on where to position yourself, how uh, people conduct uh, uh, interrogations or job interview negotiations, what that means, what that looks like. Know that room layout does impact the negotiations trajectory. We talk about physical elements. And what I'm talking about here is keeping yourself ready to negotiate. Are you taking care of your health, exercise, sleep, nutrition, your blood chemistry, tactile influences? Know that the physical world and your health impact your performance, as does the time of day. We have a whole other lesson on uh, research on blood glucose levels and how that impacts negotiation. Finally, operationally, we want to be in control of our bodies. Facial expressions, body language, our identity, bodies transmit intentions. It's really important for us to understand and know what our bodies are doing at the negotiation table. So... It's really important to know about identity and perspective in a negotiation because two people can be talking about the same thing. I used a metaphor of two people looking at the numeral that could be six or nine a different way will see the same exact ink in a totally different way depending on where they're standing. Know that where you sit is kind of where you stand. Your background influences how you see other people. This is why empathy is important. We found that empathy is actually less than it was in say the 1970s and the 21st century, but we actually empathize more with those who agree with us. Those who don't agree with us, we empathize less, which is why there's a lot of extreme uh, views on things and there's no like uh, objective realities in a lot of people's heads. You've got to be empathetic as a leader on both extremes and not just listen to people who confirm your bias. So I wanna talk a little bit about Deborah Tannen who talks about communication between genders. So she talks about how people communicate. Males tend to do this report type of talk, the bullet points. Women work in this area of rapport, developing a relationship and then overlaying those report type things. So when we want to communicate effectively. We want to build unity. We want to elicit some feelings and ask the question, how do you feel about that? And then create some level of conversational intimacy in that we want to fold in. Hey, you're a person. You're trying to tell me something. I want to influence you and I want to understand your perspective. But I want to tell you mine too. If I don't recognize that person's position first it's very difficult to influence them you know this is in a you know a, not in a crisis situation in crisis situations sometimes it's just you know the fire's burning get the bucket put it on the fire i also want to talk about some researchers Gialdini, two books i want you to think about persuasion this is laying the groundwork to persuade individuals what does this mean In the 21st century, we have a heck of a time getting people's attention with screens and everything else. You've got to anchor. Know that your mindfulness and presence have got to be established before you start anchoring them on what you want to talk about and then getting into priming them on the negotiation. Create the conditions that makes their mind accepting to what you're saying. So you kind of have to stage it. You can't just do the asking people to do. You can do that. The probability that you will get agreement is much lower than if you take these uh, steps. So once we set the stage, we can look at these elements of persuasion that Dr. Cialdini in his book, Influence, has hit home. It's a very popular book, 1984. Uh, Everyone knows about it. Reciprocity. If I do something for you, there will be a social tension for you to do it back consistency. If I make a clear public involuntary move towards a direction, I will keep doing that and I will not falter. We find people who are consistent much more persuasive than people who act erratically. We want to deal with consistent people and we ourselves want to be viewed as consistent. It's powerful. Authority, we talked about that. Tactically, authority is very persuasive. Likeability, we have to uncover real similarities, commonality, in order to get people to like us, not like, hey, be my buddy, but in order for us to be compassionate, to see, oh yeah, this is valid. So calling out a similarity is important and offering genuine praise to that person when it comes, that makes us more likable, more persuasive, social proof, people follow the crowd. If I can explain that someone in a similar situation did the thing I'm asking you to do, they are much more likely to do that thing because when I find myself in similar circumstances, in a situation that someone else has done before, I don't want to be the first to leave. If other people are going to do it, I'll do it. This explains a lot of behavior. This explains fads. It explains um, you know, how the media works. It's, it's Social proof is a very powerful persuasive technique. Finally, scarcity. Childine tells about scarcity. We want something that is perceived as less. While supplies last, you know, get this keychain. Um, things that we perceive or portray as scarce, we want them more. It has no objective reality, it's just a perception. If you want to be more persuasive, create some type of scarcity. So those are the takeaways. How do you navigate as a leader? Negotiation, one, strategically, make a plan. Spend some time on those eight elements we talked about. Formal plans should be where you spend your time. Northwestern University researchers say 80% of your time in negotiation should be spent on the plan, not at trying to wing it, you know, at the seat of your pants at the table. Tactics, the person who asks the questions controls the negotiation. The number one tactic is an open-ended question. Of those five different tactic groupings, when you ask an open-ended question, they can fit into almost any of them. Operationally, everything impacts a negotiation, but know what your needs are. Focus on your needs and all these distractions that people use operationally that you may yourself feel at the end of the day in a marathon negotiation if you have a clear focus on what your needs are. That's the way to overcome the operational system. Thank you for listening to this lesson 16, What Leaders Need to Know About Negotiation. This is Martin Medeiros with Negotiation Strategist Research.